Good morning. Did everybody get at least eight hugs? If you want another hug, just raise your hand. There's hugs. There's up right there. Jonathan needs a hug. Come on. Go ahead over there. Now, that one doesn't count. <laughs> All right. So now that you're all comfortable, would you please get up and move forward? Seriously. I am the pastor that feels I need closeness. So come on, move forward. Hey, last week Kevin hugged you. It's okay for me to make you move, right? Right, Kevin? Okay. He hugged everybody. You didn't get a hug? Where were you? Well, he'll give you one today. He will. Okay. All righty. I'm Clara, and I'm one of the teachers. We have about five or six of them. Isn't that awesome? Our church is full of teachers. So I'm glad we give each other opportunities to say something around here. Okay. 2001, our fourth daughter uh, turned 10, and we enrolled her at the, what was it called, Performing Arts School of Classical Ballet on Northwest Military Highway. And she was placed with a group of seven, ten other homeschool girls. And it was an adventure for us, an eight-year adventure of ballet classes. It was very fun. But there was a particular girl in the class that was different. She never, we're going to call her Sally so that I can just refer to her as Sally. That wasn't her name, but we'll call her Sally. She seemed to never be listening to the teacher when the teacher was talking, so she'd be skipping around when it was time to stretch, and she would stretch when it was time to do soft shapes. So when recital day came, she often was a little out of step. Now, some of the other girls in the group were really very annoyed and very verbal about their annoyance with Sally. Our daughter was annoyed also, but she kept herself quiet. But as the years progressed and there's more pressure in ballet classes to perform and be on top of things, these other girls began to bully her quite a bit. And what made her bully, their bullying even worse was the fact that they were very vocal about their faith. Yeah, they were Christians. Now, as many of you know, my daughters are not perfect. I have five of them. But there is a quality that they all seem to have, and that is the quality of compassion. And they have this justice radar that goes off when they see the underdog being taken advantage of. And so this particular daughter, her justice radar came off, and she decided to make it her mission to befriend Sally and to lead her to Christ. And she became relentless in prayer and service acceptance and approval of this young lady. Now, you know, when you become a friend of an outcast, it's not always very easy because all they need to know to do is to hurt people, right? And so this was how she behaved. So it was kind of like, before you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Before you reject me, I'm going to reject you. Even to those who are being kind to her, this is kind of how she responded. But our daughter, like many of us here today, is peculiar. And she has something that the other ballerinas didn't have, and that was a hope in a God that loves everybody. And it was a hope that believed that if anyone could get through to Sally, God could. And a hope that maybe, just maybe, God would use her to lead this awkward little ballerina to the Lord. 
Uh, two weeks ago, Randy started our um, new series called The Good and Beautiful Community. And he emphasized the point that we are a peculiar people. And we are peculiar because we live under a different kind of rule and reign, the kingdom of God. And so the things that we value and the things that we do or don't do often are expression of who this good and beautiful God is. And that makes us peculiar. Then Kevin last week talked about hope, being a people of hope, and not some wishful thinking that maybe someday something nice is going to happen to us, but a hope that's really concretely based on the resurrection and the hope of restoration. Now this morning, I'm going to continue in our series, The Good and Beautiful God, and I'm going to be talking about service. We are a people that serve. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for um, defining us as peculiar, as hopeful, and as servants. And uh, we all come from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different patterns. And we have to look at this and figure the way on. And so, Father, I just pray that you would come and meet us in a really very real and concrete way. And that you would transform us and form us more into the image of our beloved Savior, Jesus. I ask for our guests, Lord, that they would find relevancy in today and encounter your love in a very personal way. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, most of us, when we were little, um, would have been asked, what do you want to be or do when you grow up? Anybody get that question asked to them at some point? Yeah, okay, now, if you had a plan and you knew what the purpose was going to be and stuff, you weren't all that bothered by that question. But if you didn't, it was a little annoying, right? Well, when I was four years old, um, I had a plan. Uh, I was told that my first aspiration vocationally was to be a fire engine, okay? Not a firefighter, not a fireman, but a fire engine. I was very confident about my purpose in life. Now, we have labels. uh, Well, wait, I want to ask you this question. How many of you have on your plans this vocation to be a servant? Okay, now most 21st century Americans are not really putting on their career plan to be a servant. That's not on their radar, unless, of course, they want to have some servants. Then, yeah, I like that idea. We have labels such as public service or civil servants. And by those titles, we don't mean that they're going to become our servants. What matters to 21st century Americans is power. We want to know who's got the power to make a decision. I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to somebody that has the power to help me. Ever said that to somebody on the phone? your insurance company or somebody else, right? We want to know somebody who has the connections to make something happen. We're into power. We're also into celebrities. We drop names about people we're associated with or that we know, and we, you know, want to be in the know, and so we follow their blogs or Facebook, maybe their Twitter, so that we can be on top of everything related to that person we uh, admire. We want to know who's hot and who's not. As Americans, we love wealth. We can get into this. We look at what cars people drive, the size of their house, what recent vacation they took, and we get impressed. Or we make a point to be very unimpressed. Either way, we're into wealth. When we introduce ourselves at a party or a small group, 
we would identify ourselves by referring to our family status. I'm married, I'm single, I'm a parent with kids. Or we would talk about our profession, doctor, lawyer, or Indian chief. We have some Indian chiefs here? Okay. Or we might talk about where we were born, India, Philippines, Panama, Texas, Canada, God forbid, California. <laughs> I'm Californian, so I could make fun of myself. We would identify ourselves by the university or the degree that we have acquired. But our Messiah, our Jesus, our founder, and our beautiful Savior never used any of these things to identify himself. Not his race, his degree, his home. Instead, he introduced himself like this. I'm a servant. Mark 10:45. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, not only was Jesus a servant, but a lot of his disciples early on were disciples, were, were also servants. Okay, let's take let Paul, for example. Most of his letters, not all of them, but most of his letters, he introduced himself as Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Romans 1.1, Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Apparently, if you're associated with Paul, you get wrangled into being a servant too. So not only did Jesus or Paul and other first century disciples refer to themselves as servants of God, but it is part of our peculiarity to be also servants of God. Now, Jesus' definition of greatness is completely different than our culture, right? You don't go to work to serve unless you just got the job. And you're hoping that eventually you won't be stuck still in that position. You want to move up, right? We tell our daughter who's studying to be a nurse, honey, would you consider being at least a PA? Is that what it's called? Because, you know, then you could boss some people around. If you're a nurse, you're going to get bossed around. See, it's in me. I mean, it's in us, right? But the hierarchy in God's kingdom is completely reversed. It's upside down. The last will be first. It's not about how much money we make, our profession, what we own, how famous or important we are to be somebody in the kingdom of God. Jesus' definition of success is be the best servant you can possibly be. Matthew 20, verses 25 to 27. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, now here's my definition of greatness, according to Jesus. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Now, in the book of Isaiah, which was written 700 years ago, um, 700 years before, excuse me, Jesus was born, is full of prophecies. And many of them, of course, were very relevant to what was going on to the uh, nation Israel. But many of the prophecies in Isaiah were, have a futuristic nature. Most of the prophecies in Isaiah are relevancy for who the Messiah is going to be and what he looks like and what he can do but also about the purpose for us as God's people, his church. I'm going to read um, a few verses, six verses from Isaiah 49. In fact, you know, let's read them together. Can you guys read that okay? That's pretty. That's a good job. Okay, listen to me, all you in distant lands. Pay attention, you who are far away. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb he called me by name. He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. 
He has hidden me in the shadows of his hand. I'm like a sharp arrow in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel. You will bring me glory. I replied, But my work seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Yet I leave it all in the Lord's hand. I will trust God for my reward. And now the Lord speaks. The one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. The Lord has honored me, and my God has given me strength. He says, You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. You know, Isaiah and Israel never fulfilled that prophecy. Jesus didn't either. Not to his fullest. There's relevancy in that passage because there is hidden, some hidden, some very clear, of what our role is. That we have a part in fulfilling the words given to Isaiah in chapter 49. Yes, he was talking to Isaiah and to Israel. And he was asking them, I want you to be uh, servants to the nations surrounding you. Yes, Jesus, you will be the greatest servant and the Savior of the world. But my church also has an assignment in this passage. And she is to take my word and be a light to the nations. Now listen to these verses again. But this time, don't just hear it through the perspective of Israel or even the perspective of Jesus but through the perspective of you, us, the church. A couple of verses I want to highlight. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by name. What is your name? Say your name. Everybody all at once. One, two, three. Clara. Let's say it again. One, two, three. Clara. So he called you by name. The one who formed me in my mother's womb, who commissioned me to be his servant. Let's all say his servant. His servant. This is your commissioning day. You're a servant. You know, when we sense a purpose in life, and when we sense that God has a plan for us, you know, more than from buzz to buzz, job to job, work to work, you know, experience, relationship to relationship, class to class, we can begin to experience true meaning in life. You are my servant, Israel. You will bring me glory. You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Our mission, should we choose to take it, is twofold. To restore God's people and to reach out to those who do not know yet our good and beautiful God. As his church, his bride, the body, this prophetic word has relevancy for us. It is our assignment. And one of the experiences or one of the aspects in understanding how beautiful our world and our life can be is when we understand our purpose, our assignment. And suddenly, life looks different. And the reason why we consume carbs and the reason why we breathe oxygen has meaning. We're not just existing and buying time. Imagine if every conversation you had had a purpose. Imagine if God had things he wanted you to do or say or be. 
you know, you might be at a fork in a road, in your road, your life, where you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to follow God or am I going to do my own thing? This is an important time in your life. When I was 18, I was pre-med at USC. And then I met up with Jesus. And I understood that he wanted something different from me. And to the best of my understanding, I decided, okay, I want to be in full-time ministry. And I want to reach the nations. My first assignment in reaching the nations was reaching my five daughters. They were my first serious disciples. They were my first full-time ministry. They were my first long-term missionary assignment. And they were God's primary tool for damaging my inclination to be self-focused, self-serving, and all the other selves, instead of embracing God's assignment to be his servant. And embracing God's assignment for our life is not just about the big things. It's about the little things, Right? You know, being a mom has a lot of little things. Going to work faithfully, guys and gals, has a lot of little decisions that you have to make. Right? Going to school, there's a lot of little decisions that you have to make and say yes to God. On Tuesday, I was at ER, not for me, but for my mom. And in that that one day alone, I was there for 12 hours in ER. And I saw a lot of sick people. Of course, I prayed for my mom several times. But there were a lot of suffering people, and I had opportunity to pray for a couple of them. I'm on assignment, whether I'm in ER or if I'm at home or if I'm with you. When we wake up, how many of us say, I am a servant of the Lord, and I'm on assignment today? My job may not be the greatest place to work, but I'm here on assignment from God. Maybe my teacher is boring. But I'm here on assignment from God. Is there something you want me to pray about, Lord? Is there something you want me to see or notice? Is there something I'm to do to impact on your behalf, Papa? A servant of the Lord not only has a sense of being on assignment, but is very attractive. You are my servant, Israel, and you will bring me glory. Bringing glory to God means we, bring, we show off God's splendor. And we show up God's splendor by being people who are peculiar, who have hope, who serve, who love. This is very attractive. And people will be drawn to the God inside of us. Now, this is what Isaiah saw in chapter 2 of the same book. In the last day, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. We will judge between nations and will settle disputes for many people. 
They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning forks. This is, represents a time of peace. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. I mean, you get the idea with prophecy. There's relevancy for the word at that time, 700 years later, 1,000 years later, 2,000 years later. Hidden in here is probably still times to come, right, that we may not see. But we need to take in that which is our part for now. This was God's purpose for his people, Israel. They were to be God's light pointing the way to the nations. They were to show the way to peace, to the good and beautiful life. But she did not embrace God's assignment for her. Instead, she began to believe that God's blessing were her birthright. I deserve this because I've been good or because I'm just God's kid. It didn't matter how she lived. She believed she could obey God or not. So she focused on serving herself. And when she began to do that, she became very ugly, unattractive, and useless. Kind of like salt without flavor. Instead of being God's servant, she led the nations to nothingness. She became blind and deaf. Hear you deaf, look you blind, and see, Isaiah 42:18. I mean, what kind of servant is that? If your servant was blind and deaf, what good is that? She had become useless, ugly. Instead of helping, she was a hindrance to the cause of Christ. By not walking in God's way, she opened her life to all kinds of evil, and she was plundered and trapped and far from God's blessing. So what does God say? Oh, well, we're just going to have to let the world grope in um, blindness. We're not going to give any hope to anybody anymore. Since my servant rejected her assignment, I'm going to allow people to live without meaning or purpose. No. He sends his son. Verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. Since Israel didn't get the job done, I'm going to send another one. But he does not end there, folks. Jesus has ascended to heaven. And his current plan, be us. His church. What a miserable plan, Lord. You've got to be kidding. I mean, seriously, can I make the face? We are so consumed with what we want, when we want it. How, how are you going to fit in? Got anything else up your sleeve? I hope so. Nope. You be it. I love how Randy puts it. He says, tag, we're it. I want you to look at each other and say, tag, you're it. Look at each other. Come on. Okay, I hope you got tagged. Did you get tagged? My? Okay. Eddie, did you get tagged? Anthony, tag Eddie and tell him. Tag your it, Eddie. Tag your it, Jamie. Okay. So you can say that to each other all week long. But here's the good news. We're not alone. We're not doing it on our own strength, which is basically what Galatians in my brain was all about. Okay? You don't have to do this alone. You have power to be what God has called you to be. Ready or not, we are God's plan for our city, for our nation, 
We are the light in our neighborhood, at work, at school, at the park, at the mall. We are light. We do what we do because we have power inside of us, Holy Spirit power. Now, not necessarily are any of us, or the majority of us, going to have to die on the cross like Jesus did. But we are clearly commanded and empowered to raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons. Because that's who's in me. That's who's in you. You know, the great stories about Jesus and the early church were never intended to end in the first century. Acts chapter 28 is not the end of Holy Spirit activity. He wants us to continue writing out his story. We're story makers. The original call God gave to Adam and Eve was be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. He has, been, he has reinstigated that assignment. But this time we have the power of the Holy Spirit to get the job done. We have grace. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus tells us directly, Not I, but you. You here is not singular. It's more like a Texan y'all. Okay? You, y'all, are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Why can a city on a hill not be hidden? Because when there's a hill and you're going to build something, you're going to build your fortified places up there. So you make it harder for the enemy to get up there, right? And there's going to be light and life and stability. It's kind of hard to hide that. It's kind of obvious. It's out there. We are to fulfill the original call upon humanity to rule and reign, be fruitful and multiply. We are to be a fruitful people filled by the Holy Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit comes out of us. The original call is still the same. But now, because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, we're no longer doing it in our own effort. Being a servant in our own effort is not very fruitful. You know, maybe you have a personality that tends to defer. Okay, so that means you let people get their way and you just let other people lead. And if that's spirit-led, that's very good. The results are going to be good for the receiver and for the giver. But if we're doing it out of the flesh, it's going to produce sour results. Okay, we're going to get a little resentful. We're going to maybe, you know, say, hey, I've done all this stuff for you. Why aren't you reciprocating? You know, I made, gave her a big shower. Why isn't she giving me a shower? You know, I took care of the house, even played with the kids, and she didn't want to make love still. I scratch your back, you scratch my back. That is the way of the world. That is not a peculiar way. That's the normal big road, everybody leading to destruction way. The narrow road is peculiar, that serves without having to have accolade. It's nice. It's nice when people praise you and bless you and thank you and all that kind of stuff, but not necessary because I'm spirit-filled and I am a servant of God. When we, we serve with the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to leave the results and the rewards to God. Now, the first year we sent a mission team to Costa Rica... A couple of team members were not Christians. 
And so I have to talk to them beforehand. Okay, now this is the reason for our mission. And are you cool with that? Can you come alongside and support what we're going to do? And they said, yes, we can. So that was good. Now, on the last day of village work, the, one of the pastors in Costa Rica wanted to pray for all the members of our team. Wanted to lay hands and prophesy and do all that great vineyard stuff. So, okay. So the, this one gal, one of the gals who's a non-Christian, she's getting prayed for and she bawls throughout the whole time. Okay, she's crying and crying and crying because she had experienced so much love during that week that it was profound. She got sick several times in a day. And every single time she got sick, we would lay hands on her and command the pain to leave, and it would instantly leave. And she'd be great for a few hours, and then it'd come back. Okay, let's go back in there and pray, and it would instantly leave. She was so moved by the love that the team showed to the villagers and to one another She just couldn't put her arms around it. A year later, she gave her life to Jesus. And she told me one of the major reasons for that decision was what she experienced in Costa Rica that week. It profoundly moved her. Now, the other non-Christian member on our team was the little dancer from our daughter's class, Sally. She also began to cry during the ministry time. And she said this, I just want you to know that I will never become a Christian. I don't care how nice you are and how loving you are to me. You've served me all week long and put up with me, but I can't become a Christian. So if you would like to send me back home now, now that you all know what I'm about, I understand. Do you know what the team did? (laughs) They just got around her and hugged her. And cried with her and assured her, we accept you where you are. And they continued to serve her throughout the rest of the trip. We're here to serve and we leave the results to God. Brian Smith, author of The Good and Beautiful Community, put it this way. The true narrative we are to live in is not what's in it for me, but to see that others' needs matter the most. That is the heart of a servant. As a community... We can do, what can we do for those who are disconnected to God? When people come into our church, you know, to go to church takes a lot of courage. Usually it means there's a crisis in their life, either marital, financial, relational, or just I'm dry, or they're sick. What can we do to move and help and give our beautiful God away? What can we do as a church to include and care for those who are going to be taking life skill classes? You know, the first time through life skill is majority members from our church. So we can get healed up, helped, and understand what this is all about. But in the future courses, there are going to be people that are probably disconnected from the good and beautiful God and probably disconnected from the good and beautiful community. How can we reach out to them and help them when they begin to ask questions and realize, oh, these principles are biblical Maybe I ought to check out church. Oh, I've been going to this church every week. Maybe I ought to go to this church on Sunday and check it out. How are we going to relate to them and embrace them? There are people who are isolated, dealing with a lot of dysfunction, fear. What can we do to show them that we want them? 
I think today's topic has great relevancy for these questions. Our success as a people is servanthood is not the size of our church, praise God. It is not the looks of the building, the state of the ark stuff up here or in children's ministry. It is who we be as God's people. Love, acceptance, servants are a mark of a very peculiar and successful community, and that is the kind of church I want to be a part of. Now, maybe you're not Mother Teresa, and you're not going to be able to serve the way she did, but how about serving with no strings attached? Those of you that live still with family members who are not Christians, serve them, serve them, serve them. It gives your words as someone put it, anointing of credibility. I like that. Steve Schrogren, who um, started the movement called Servant Evangelism, which is his favorite choice of, servant, of evangelism, said this, If you want to reach your friends and family members, show them God's love three times as much as you talk about God's love. Now, I want to end um, today's story by finish, or today's lesson by finishing with my story about Sally, the little girl in ballet class. A couple of weeks ago, I got a call from Sally, and every once in a while she calls me because she has a question, some kind of deep question that she wants me to talk to her about or listen to her about, or often it's because she has a relational problem and she'd like my advice. She's currently a sophomore in college, so she's not the little ballerina anymore. I was in the car with Randy when she called. And so I said, hey, I'm in the car. You're on speakerphone. Do you want to talk now or later? She goes, no, I prefer to talk later. And I actually was kind of glad for the break because it gave me time to kind of just get in touch with God and pray and say, Lord, uh, I need to connect with you because who knows what she's going to say, and I need to be on top of this and respond to her question or her need. So 30 minutes later, I called her. And this is what she told me. Miss Clara, I want to tell you first. I got baptized this weekend. Do I become a Christian? Yeah, you can clap. Clap! (laughs) 2001 to 2014, 13 years of community. Praying, caring, loving, serving this awkward little ballerina. (laughs) Folks, if you're praying for loved ones, and looking for ways to lead them to Christ, serve them, and learn to serve as a community. It's less overwhelming. You know, they do not have a chance to resist. God's powerful love is too much. And God's powerful love in his church makes us irresistible, stunning, knockouts. Sally coming to Christ was a community effort. My daughter started to undo the damage done by some very religious, legalistic Christians. Our youth community group continued the process. God's love through Haley, Mercy, Patrick, myself, the Costa Rica mission team, the good and beautiful community, working together, serving her, loving her, and accepting her. This is the church I belong to. And the church I love. Worship team, will you come forward, please? And, you know, just start playing as soon as you're ready. Don't wait for any cue. Just go for it.
you know, some of you are feeling a little anxious or impatient with how long it's taking for your loved ones to come to Christ. You're thinking, God, come on, seriously? It's been seven years, it's 17 years, it's been whatever. And God knows that. He knows you're a little worn down or a little anxious or concerned. And I felt like he was telling me, I want to pray for them. I want to pray for my servants. I want to minister to my servants and care for them this morning because well done, good and faithful servant. Okay, so if you are feeling kind of a little worn down or anxious or worried about your loved ones, would you please stand? Because God wants to pray for you. He wants to minister to you. You're a priority. Church is not about beating up people. It's about helping. Okay, now, those of you that are standing, I want you to think of the person or persons or community, whoever they are, that you have been praying for and have a burden for. Just put them in your heart right now. Just feel them there in that place. And I want to say this quote to you before I pray for you. There are two things God very seldom does, everything at once and nothing at all. Okay? So he is doing, he is working. He is doing and working right now. He's not absent. He's there in their lives working. He is definitely using you and probably some others to bring them to a place of wholeness. Holy Spirit, come. Just put your hands out and just receive his love for you and his help. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Father. Fill your servants. Fill them with hope. Hope in the restoration, Lord. Hope in your resurrection. Fill them, Lord. He sees your daughter. He sees your son. He sees your mother. He sees your father. He sees this person, your friend. He sees them, your sister and brother. He sees them. And your tears are not even close to the tears that he has shed. And your prayers match up to his wholeheartedly. And he's going to come. He's going to come. Lord, we ask that you would remove the barriers that keep our loved ones from experiencing you, Lord. Make them no longer an atheist, but a theist, Lord, that has experienced you. Father, comfort them. Wrap them. Lavish your love generously, Lord. Be extravagant. I've heard your prayers. You're not alone. Your prayers are my prayers. Your tears are my tears. I will show myself. Release your presence, Lord. I just release. I just receive. This is for you. Brennan, I need you to, to open your eyes. And I want you to see what the Father's doing. And I want you to stop praying for whoever God leads you. Juan, Nieves, you too. Anthony, I want you to see what the Father's doing. Open your eyes and see, because Father is on people, and he wants to fill them. Come, Lord. Marie, if you're free to do that, you can do that too, okay, honey?
Now, there's some of us that are not standing, but we really feel like a miserable example of light. We feel more like the light that's hiding under the bushel. Okay? We're afraid. And maybe you're standing too, okay? But you're afraid, and you feel like, uh, Lord, when she said this is a miserable plan, I totally could relate. And the Lord says, no, it is not a miserable plan. Because my Holy Spirit's in you. You are light. So if you're not standing, but you can relate to that word, would you stand so you can be filled too? Come, Lord. Okay. Rochelle, you are light. You are God's light. You already have the light in you. It's already coming out. You can't even hide it. It's leaking out. That's why Anthony is here. Because you're leaking. It's a good leak. You are his light. Father, come with power. Your tongues of power, Lord. We talked about not being able to do this. Only come with your power, Lord. Release the power, Lord. On Michelle and anybody else who wants more of the power of the Holy Spirit, just put your hands up. Father, come with fire. Consume them, Father. Purify them. Cleanse them. Make them unclogged. Unclogged for your Holy Spirit to come out. Let it let them leak, Lord. Let them leak. Let it just flow out of them. Jonathan right here. Jonathan. Randy, come over here. Pray for Jonathan. The Holy Spirit's on them. Let them leak, Father. Overwhelming. Not by your power and not by your strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Thank you, Father. Cleanse us, Lord. Purify us. Make us new. Revive us, Lord. Some of us are dead bones. We're dried up bones, Lord. It's sad. We're just dried up. But Lord, just like in Ezekiel, you can bring back life to us. You can breathe life into those dry bones. Those old joints, Lord. Father, I ask that you would heal arthritis right now in Jesus' name. Father, heal arthritis now in Jesus' name. I command arthritis to come off of those joints in Jesus' name. On your neck, on your back, your wrist. That that pain would leave now in Jesus' name. Revive them, Lord. Revive them. Father, be like a cleansing water. Just cleanses and removes the debris of the day. Father, some of them are toxic. Toxic inside. There's stuff in their body, Lord, that is like poison. I don't know if it's food or what, Lord. Who is that? Who's dealing with toxins inside their body? If you want healing for that, you've been told there's toxins in your body. I don't know what it is. To so come forward so we can pray for healing. Because Father wants to just cleanse. I just really sense that that's important to him. So we're doing things a little different today. The Holy Spirit wants to just kind of pray. So what I want you to do, if you feel like you got what you needed, turn to the person next to you and say, can I pray for you? Find out what they need and pray for them, okay? We're all the body of Christ. We're all doing this together, okay? So if you still need more prayer, then just stay where you are so more others can pray for you. Marie, can you pray? Okay. She's fussy. Okay. She let come up here. So the service.
whenever the worship team is done with this song. And if you need some more prayer for anything that we didn't talk about, just come up. There'll be people that eventually come up and pray for you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.